And whether you like it or not, we are back. Hopefully you like it. Uh, Back with another edition of the Daily Dots. Going to continue our journey through this uh, unparalleled economic scenario that we currently find ourselves navigating. And um, I want to say, too, this kind of came together in a fortuitous nature, so um, probably would have given more heads up. But we got a, in my opinion, we got a banger uh, scheduled for this Friday as far as interviews go. It's going to be like a, uh, remember that you were, Chase, you were a wrestling fan back in the day, right? As a kid? Oh, yeah. Yeah, there we go. All right. I remember, yeah, Sunday afternoons, parents would be napping and you'd get the W, you know, if you timed it right, you'd get back when it was still called WWF, right? You get the WWF and then do you remember the WCW? I do. Yeah. They combined at some point, didn't they? Yeah, I, I can't, I can't remember how all that played out. It was crazy. Yeah, I remember at the time, I, I knew exactly how it worked, and I knew it was fake. But I mean, I, you know, it was, I still loved it. Yeah, so it was a lot of things. Yeah, um, but I, I kind of remember how they'd hype one up, you know, like the big showdown, and oh, they'd yeah. show them looking at each other across the ring. But it still was. I feel like this is what it's happening. Having we're having Cuppy on the show. Um, and for the, I'm, I'm assuming everybody that listens to this is her. I've interviewed him multiple times. And if you're listening to this podcast and chances are you've run across his name before, but, um, <clears throat> Cuppy is, is, is on the other side of the fence, uh, from us. He thinks the economy is humming along. He doesn't think there's going to be a recession. As a matter of fact, I think he has stated something along the lines that he thinks the 10 year will get to eight before it'll get to three. I, yeah. And I don't want to put words in his mouth, but I think it's something along. He's the still lines. calling for six. I know. So, okay. Yeah, I, I don't think that there's a snowball's chance in hell that happens. But um, what I do know is that he is a really smart guy and one that – A great investor, yeah. And a very good investor, yeah. And um, I – it'll be a fun conversation because I really respect him and his point of view. And um, I I know he's going to come loaded for bear. I know he's going to have his data points. I know we've got ours. Um, and it should, be a, it should be a fun one, man. So – and it's going to be a roundtable. I've – because I don't go and you know, when you go into a conversation like that, you got to bring all your ammo. <clears throat> and if I go into, if I just have it between Cuppy and I, that's like me showing up to a golf course without my clubs, right? I got to have, I got to have Chase there. <laughs> like I said, man, it's the brain trust of the operation here. Which would be the equivalent of me playing golf with golf clubs. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Well, so anyway, you guys are going to want to miss that. We're going to drop that uh, interview on Friday. It should be another, we've really thrown it. We got to, we got to, uh, we got a good, we got some, we've had some hot interviews lately. Yeah. Um, Who's next week? Drug? Yeah. We're working up to that. Well, I did have Robert Schiller on at one time and, um, he was like, that was like pulling teeth, getting him to say anything. (laughs) He's, you could tell he was very used to and good at playing the political response game. Um, and then what was funny is he's a brilliant economist, but he's even worse at managing his computer than I am. So, we wasted about for, 40- for the listeners that's saying something. Yeah. Yeah. It's I'm tech challenged. He's, he was worse though. Um, yeah. Burned up 45 minutes of the interview time trying to get his stuff Oof. linked up. Yeah. It was a bummer. Anyway. Um, <clears throat> another day, another dot. Um, we didn't really have a data rich day to day. I markets basically finished around flat. NASDAQ was up a little bit. Dow was down a little bit. S and P was effectively flat. I think it was up like 0.07 or something like that. Yeah, everything was flat except for small caps, which were down over 1%. Yeah, they got drilled. Uh, NVIDIA was up, shocker. Um, <clears throat> so I 
what what do we have today? Rates were pretty much flat. No, the thirty year ended up down eleven basis points, so pretty big move on the thirty year. Uh, the front end was flat. Um, Ten year was down about eight basis points, so you, you saw some pretty some more melting um, on, on the long end. Dollar was flat though, so like most things were flat. So the only action really was in the kind of long end of the bond market. And oil is getting just hammered. Yeah, and the interesting thing there is it, it's not just the price. At one point, I was thinking maybe like this is just a bunch of CTAs having to sell because they got kind of over their skis really long, but then. You realize like the the time spreads, you know, if you look at uh, Brent Brent crude futures, the, the first month versus the second month, that has gone from a, a, about a dollar fifty spread to a dime in like three weeks. So whenever you have the time spread just absolutely collapse, it tells you, okay, well the physical market is is underwriting this move lower. Yeah. Um, and just as a kind of a random. Side note to that, uh, I was showing you earlier today, but I, I saw someone had a um, an anecdote that they were at a a major airport and it was kind of slow and their flight wasn't full, which I think anyone that's flown in the last 18 months, you know that, I mean, it, it's been pretty wild. Like it's been busy. If you look at the TSA data, it's been tracking over last year's levels all year by a lot. So when I heard the anecdote, I was like, that there's no way. So I went and looked at the TSA data. Well, sure enough, this week, and hey, it's only one week. This could just go ripping back, and it could be something we don't know of right now. But for this week, the TSA data was actually down a good bit, and it's under um, where it was 2022. Uh, it's kind of at 2019 levels at the moment. So you, you know what's funny? It's underscore I, some of that move, too. I, I traveled this weekend um, in terms of getting the room we wanted at a resort we stayed at multiple times now. I, we had some business down in Phoenix. Um, it's actually a board meeting we had to go down to. My wife and I went down to, and we extended. <clears throat> you know, if I'm out of town for three to four nights, or if I've got if I got to be gone for two nights without the kids and the wife's with me, we're gonna we're gonna try to push for an extra couple 100%. nights, right? You got to take you got to you got to play when you got to play when you got your shot. Um, and um, it wasn't crazy, but I will say the resort for the first time that I've been there because I, I think the first time I went there was 2019. Um, it was way less busy. Than it had been in the past. It wasn't a ghost town. Right. Uh, airport was less congested than I've seen since COVID. The, the one thing I did notice um, that stood out to me was the deals on rental cars. They were giving me, they, they had, um, they had deals on rent, rental cars that were shockingly good. That's, that's very interesting to me because the last two or three times I've run into car, it was like, brutal compared to you know pre-pandemic oh yeah so this one place had a bunch of bmws and i went in there for the for the you know just i don't care it's a rental car right right? and i need some balling rental car so but they had the best deals on these bmws so i was going to get the x1 and it was like for like eight nine bucks more a day they'd throw an x5 at me and that was already based off a discounted rate on the x1 and i was sitting there going she's like do you want that and for all four days it was like an extra 70 bucks so i was like whatever okay sure that's yeah, like getting the extra 70 ounces of soda at the movie theater for four cents like, yeah there you yeah, i'll take it yeah i'll yeah i'll do it but um yeah nothing nothing like you know and i don't want to be over dramatic nothing crazy but it was enough of a difference where my wife and i both commented on it and then she i think she made some comment like she's like oh let's start out don't turn this into an economic discussion you know but i was just sitting there going <laughs> this is a break from the norm i mean yeah. we've been because her and i traveled 
not extensively, but we traveled fairly frequently the entire time, you know, throughout COVID and, and things like that. And it, it, other than during COVID, right, during the lockdowns, which that was the best travel conditions I've ever seen in my life. I remember coming home from a, a flight in New York, literally, maybe it was like me and 10 other people on the flight. Yeah. A whole aisle to myself. It was beautiful. So right? we, we lived in, in California during the pandemic and we had our daughter during the pandemic and we had to go to a uh, appointments in Los Angeles and the crazy, like during, you know, the, the kind of height of, of the lockdowns and we'd be on the four Oh five and it just no cars. And it was so eerie, but so awesome. So I remember we, we did some like, you know, uh, appointments after, and it was just back to, you know, just oh, yeah. brutal. Well, you know, you and I drive the same route home every single day. Yep. So we never didn't come into the office one single day. Right. I wrote up uh, permissions for all the employees. So if they got pulled over, you know, they'd be fine. But, um, it was like, I am legend. I, I remember one night I went home from here all the way to where I live, you know, where my house is. I saw three cars. That's crazy. Yeah. It was, it was, it was weird. Yeah. It was eerie. You're looking around going, this is bizarre. <laughs> anyway, it was a cool experience looking back on it. Cause you'll probably never experience that again. Hopefully you'll never experience that again, right? Oh, yeah. It's either another pandemic or nuclear holocaust. I mean, there's not good reasons for that. But anyway, what are we what are we seeing? And I and I feel like this is kind of we, we can do it again tomorrow too, but kind of preparation for the um for the discussion we're gonna have. Because for me, as much of a fan as I still am of oil over the longer term and uh and oil producing companies for a variety of different reasons. And we don't need to get into that. Um, but I, I will say that this oil move makes a lot of sense to me in regards to a lot of the information we're looking at. Meaning I am, it's one of the things I'm excited to talk to Kepi about his quote unquote, when we were firming this, um, firming this up was he goes, yeah, I know you guys are leg reapers and I think the economy is still humming. Um, I just don't see where they're pointing to data that's quote unquote humming. Yeah, I would. I hope. I hope you bring some data for sure because I, I'm struggling to find it. I mean, granted, I to be fair, like the macro data, the hard data is still you know fairly strong as we've highlighted a lot. Most of the data we're, we bring to the table tends to be soft data, anecdotal data, stuff like that. But. Um, but at the same time, like some of that stuff to me is so significant that I, it's hard for me to even take some of the hard data seriously. So, well, yeah, like for instance, I mean, I was having this discussion yesterday with somebody. We were talking about the whole home construction, multifamily construction, all that kind of stuff, right? Well, maybe it's considered soft data, but I think a pretty good indicator of what's going on in that sector is to look at what you brought up the other day, which was architectural design billing, architectural yep. billing. And then permits, right? And you get a look through, they're falling off a cliff. That multifamily permits are down like 40% year over year or something like. Just falling off a yeah. cliff, right? Um, I think residential is extraordinarily uh, um, geographically dependent at this point. Yeah. But just go out and talk to home builders. I mean, you know, if they've got stuff to sell at, at, at a certain price point, it's still moving pretty quick. But you know, volumes are down 50%, you know, across the country. So, I mean, you know, that's all you need to say. Right. Um, and here's the other thing. I don't really think people are thinking about this 
uh, in the right light, which is as long as rates are here, you're not going to see a resurgence because I think that the vast majority of people buying a home are cash buyers and or heavily cash buyers. And by definition, that is a minimal amount of people, right? There aren't an endless supply of those people in the economy, right? That's not something that that's not, that's not a cycle, right? We don't just keep, well, you know, the cash buyers will keep the home market afloat right. for a long time, right? That's it's temporary in nature, right? There's only so many of them. Exactly. And as a percentage of the population, it's not a lot. So what else are we seeing though? Let, let, let's walk through some of the data stuff that you were looking at. And I yeah. got some notes here. So the, no, nothing today really data wise that I cared about. We'll have jobless claims tomorrow, which I'll definitely care about. But something, something popped up today was um, Goldman Sachs had some data from uh, on visits per venue for home, uh, home improvement stores. So this is year over year data for visits per venue. Tractor supply down 12%. Home Depot down 13%. Dang. Lowe's year over year traffic per venue 17%. And then floor and decor down 19%. And and you would think, you know, hey, if people aren't going to buy houses, maybe they'll fix their own house up. Well, apparently not. Not only is that, you know, kind of foot traffic down 10 to 20% across the board there. We know from the earnings transcripts, they're saying like people are not touching uh, the big ticket items. They're yeah, they're coming in and getting hammers and screws and stuff, but like no one's in here buying, you know, a, a Gucci barbecue pit or, or, you know, like a giant pressure washer or something. Uh, yeah. Well, and this push points to one of the things that this is, again, I have never heard and I keep an open mind about it because crazy things happen in this world, especially in economies with as many dynamic inputs as they have. But um, this is something that nobody has ever been able to answer for me, which is, Stimulus by its very nature does not create new demand, right? It pulls forward future demand. And I mean, I guess in some ways you could say it creates demand, but generally speaking, it pulls forward future demand, right? Um, when you have the kind of stimulus that was airdropped on this economy and you saw a 20% jump in consumer spending over a 22-year period of time, which is the largest on record, right? Not even close. Um when the conditions that underwrote that go away, how at the very least do you not have a consumption air pocket? I, I just, I've never understood that, right? Especially like you put, you know, and we've said it before and people listen to the show and be like, yeah, Zach, you said a hundred times. But I, I'm just saying, think about the things that were a boost to GDP, that were even a boost GDP last quarter. They're not reoccurring things. You don't keep buying new patio furniture every year, right? Maybe some people do in Bel Air or something like that. But, you know, you don't keep buying big screen TVs. You don't keep buying PlayStations. You don't keep buying all of this stuff. You don't keep buying pressure washers and Gucci barbecue pits like you talk about, right? So my whole thing has been, look, I don't think we're heading into into the Marianas Trench of economic routes, but I do think that consumer spending has to somewhat normalize. If consumer spending comes down even 40% or, or retraces half of that move, that's a recession. I mean, right? I mean, the, is yeah, there any way I mean, consumer spending can pull back that much and not have a recession? Uh, of course not. I mean, not that's not, not to say I expect it to do that. Uh, it's just, but it, all it has to do really to have a recession is to just stop growing. Right. Which 
which that I think, you know, that does happen. And obviously prices aren't going to go in reverse. So the nominal side of it's going to stay, you know, solid, but I, I, there's so many people that are in this like six, seven, eight percent nominal GDP camp. And that that's like where I struggle. Like that we did live in that world and, but that, that world is going away. The, every pillar of that world is being systematically, uh, deconstructed right now. Like, uh, I saw today, uh, Bob Elliott had a post about, uh, you know, like these earnings, you know, they're, they're not good enough to explain 8% nominal GDP in the third God, quarter. Close. And then, and Mike Green was like, well, the, maybe then maybe it wasn't 8% GDP in the quarter. You know, I was like, fair enough. Let's, let's put a little Occam's razor, yeah. uh, analysis to this. Yeah. Right. No. And I'm with you. Like how, how do you have over 50% of companies reporting missing revenue expectations and then simultaneously telling me with revenues and flat and, and revenues and earnings. I, well, I mean, inflate on a nominal basis, effectively flat year over year. Right. And yet you're telling me we grew at that rate. I mean, I just, I, I, I don't like, and this goes back to the work that I've talked about on that small company that I'm on the board of. There is not a single company that we do business with, not a single one that is telling us or we see it reflected in their orders that that resembles 8% GDP growth. There's not one, not one. Um, and, you know, based on the research you did, I'm looking at that whole thing and going, you know, the other part of it is the trope that you uncovered and your, your research shot a hole in this, but look, economy's growing at this speed. Don't just go into recession. And you're like, actually, most of the time they do. <laughs> right. Right. The, the perfect setup is to have a very strong quarter and then, you know, have that drop off in the, in the quarter after. Well, here's the other thing. And again, this is soft. It's anecdotal, especially when it is the way it looks. Meaning when I see revenue expectations missing that widely and yet earnings, you and I have talked about this all the time, right? Meaning you can massage earnings, especially these days, 18 ways to Sunday, right? Revenue, you can't. It is what yeah, exactly. It is. You want the SEC knocking at your door, start screwing with revenue. This, uh, sorry, this conversation made, made me think of something else that was, was good on Twitter. And uh, a guy was saying, like, I don't think we're going into a recession. That, that sounds dumb because Walmart just hit an all time high. And then our, our buddy Stephen Mirren actually posted a chart of Walmart stock, which which ripped and put in a new all time high in two thousand and eight. Yeah, right. Because so. that's where everybody went to bargain hunt, right? Like, <laughs> I, yeah, I just I don't I don't think people are being realistic, and and I continue to look at this scenario and just say, to me, the Occam's razor example is we're going into a recession. It doesn't look like it's going to like I said, it doesn't look like it's going to be a depression. I, I don't. I don't, I don't go along with that, especially when you look at the amount of ammo that the Fed stacked up in terms of things that they can throw at this deal. But uh, it it just feels like an exhausted economy and you're seeing it show up in a lot of the data prints, right? Like, again, not, not, I mean, there's certain definitely things that it looked to have, to have turned a corner and, and are headed south. Um, I think more importantly, I don't really see any data points that are picking up and moving in the right direction if your outlook is bullish. You can correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm thinking about I, I would say even if you do, I, I, what I'm finding is if, if I find something that's kind of been accelerating of late, I can usually go find 
something that kind of leads that data, you know, reliably, and then that will be slowing down. So the areas of the economy that are hot to, to typically they have some sort of leading data that is, is, has rolled over already. So it's like, okay, well, yeah, that's hot, but like, it's pretty obvious by relationships uh, that it's going to roll over. It's, so, but even there, like I expected, you know, I, I even expected manufacturing uh, to pick up more than it has. I mean, so that kind of having a bad month last month shows me like even that can't get off the ground and it has a lot going for it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, especially how long it's been getting hammered. Yeah, exactly. At some point, like it's just, it just becomes a beach ball. Like the the inventory cycle just takes over and what they, they get back to work. But, but correct me if I'm wrong, the manufacturing data fits perfectly our whole talk about a consumption air pocket with consumers. I mean, doesn't that, I mean, like, I'm not saying it proves we're right, but it, it, if, if what, if the scenario that we're laying out is correct, that manufacturing data makes perfect sense. Doesn't it? Yeah, exactly. And that's the thing that I just keep struggling with. I just, to me, it feels like, and I texted you and I were texting last night about this and to me, it just feels like the bullish arguments are getting really thin. Yeah, I mean, you and I are like seeking them out. I mean, we're yeah. we're like turning over rocks to find them, and usually it's like, oh, well, this one's interesting. You go look into the data, and it's like, nope, nope, not there. And I think that's the thing that people Ho- hopefully, Kobe can can sprinkle a few on us that we hadn't thought about. You know? Yeah. Well, and and just so, and I want to give people context listening to this too. Is that Chase and I were actually having a conversation th- this morning as well, talking about the biggest misses that he and I have both had was being too bearish in the past. Those are my, those have been my biggest mistakes. And because of that, I've changed the way I look at the world, meaning 70% of the time the stock market goes up. Yeah. And for good reason. And for good reason. And I have really changed the way that I look at things over the years going, why don't you struggle instead of trying to find bearish news? Cause you can always find it. Oh yeah always something that's about ready to implode. If you don't believe me, just get on exactly. social media, right? But instead hunt for the bullish, hunt for why the bear arguments are wrong. And that's, I think you just said it perfectly. I j- I feel like I'm looking around for a party, you know, and I j- every house is dark. No lights are on. I don't hear any music. And you're just going, I, I just don't see it here. Yeah. What? Okay. What else you got for us? Uh, the, the only other thing I had, and it kind of ties into this stuff uh, and, and, speaking of Steve Miriam, but it's like fiscal. So what we've consistently really for the last year said, one of the only reasons there, there is to be kind of bullish the economy. Um, and, and in some respects markets is, well, the government's throwing tons of money yeah. at building, you know, new EV plants, stuff like that. But then you, when you really think about it, now the companies are talking about sidelining plans for EV, you know, expansion and stuff because they're not selling them. So the government comes in, splashes the pot for them to go build all this, um, you know, battery plants and manufacturing plants and production lines. But if if, if people aren't going to come up and buy them, uh, then that fiscal has been kind of a waste of time. And every something I don't we, we talked about, you know, how corporate taxes are starting to, to ratchet up. Well, you think about when it comes to. The recent, yeah, the because recent, when did when did the tra- Trump corporate tax cuts expire? So I think they're layered in different ways. Okay. So some of it already did this year. Okay. Um, which speaking of, I, I think uh, tax receipts in t- next year could actually be decent because there's going to be capital gains. Uh, corporations are paying a little bit more, so like that could kind of trim the deficit in its own way a little bit. Um, but the point I was about to make is 
uh, EV tax credits for, you know, when you buy it, you can get up to like 7,500 bucks off, you know, or back, however you want to look at it, um, when you buy it. But again, those are structured to where they get lighter and lighter kind of every year. So even if, you know, we just don't have that many EV cells for like two years. Well, after that, you're not going to, because what makes them affordable goes away. So just something that that popped into my head today is, yeah, we've had tons of fiscal, but a lot of that was probably uh, pretty, pretty misallocated, at least short term, because as it turns out, people at the moment at least can't afford uh, payments on cars, much less payments on, you know, $70,000 EVs. Yeah. uh, And I think we brought this up. I think maybe it was late last week, maybe it was early this week, but it really stuck out to me, right? The default data is clearly, as far as delinquencies and default data, it's clearly climbing. I wouldn't say, and correct me if I'm wrong in real time here, but when I look at default data, especially on historical charts, I think that it, I would call it concerning. I wouldn't call it red alarm style yet. You think that's a fair way to categorize it? I'm going to go a little more nuanced. I'll say... How about moderately concerning? If you go in the total aggregate of all consumer debt, it is not alarming at, at all. Not alarming. But if, oh, yeah. if you drill down into people under 40 in cars and credit cards, I do find that red alarm. I Okay. I think... Okay. I agree with but you. But clearly not flowing through to the aggregate macro data right now. No. But the one thing that did look somewhat alarming to me was not the amount of delinquencies, but the size of the delinquencies. Yeah. That was, that, that was eye-opening even for me. Like you, we were looking that, at that. That data. line is vertical. Yeah. We were looking Very at that true. data and going, okay, that's abnormal, right? Like you just don't. That's we, at an all-time high. You've never seen, I mean, which it should be after the inflation, of course, but. Well, and it, but, it, but, it, but again, and this is the problem I've got with our thesis and, and, and discounting it is, again, it points to the fact that people were spending at a completely unsustainable level. Right. And that reality is now hitting. Right. You know, I just – I can't get over that. And, and I, like I said, I see a lot of things that back up that take. I don't see anything that is 100%, you know, 180 degrees different. You know, it's not like we sit there and go, well, we got this negative thing, but we got this really bullish thing. We, we, there's right. there's I, stuff that all, isn't bad yet, but all, it's... Yeah, all the stuff that I find that's like really good, really strong, like usually it just makes sense if you if you think about the world in which it started a year and a half ago, two years ago. Right. Like there's stuff that got started two years ago that's killing it yep. or still has money left over from two years ago, whatever. Like, But trying to find like organic sources of economic strength that have that are like have started in the last couple of months or look like they're about to start that's where it's really tough i i just can't get back to thinking that we had a really big party for two and a half years and now there's gonna be a hangover yeah exactly i just i i just think that's kind of the analogy yeah i don't think anybody's going to the hospital i don't think anybody's got alcohol poisoning they may we got to see the we got to see the you know we got to yeah. we, we'll know at five in the morning right the and, and the Fed hasn't hasn't puked yet, so they're pretty sure they can keep drinking. Yeah, well, and I think a lot of folks are. Um, anything? Yeah, it's kind of a kind of a, a light day on the data, but that's about it. Decent pullback in rates. So what what is our what, where where we finish at on the ten year for the yield? So like ten five or three five two four five two, something like that. Well, that was a lot of numbers. Hold on. Yeah, <laughs> sorry. Well, I mean the numbers have changed so quickly. Yeah, that's true. We're, we're just under four and a half, four point four nine. <sighs> So basically, fifty bips off the high. 
That's another thing that I'll tell you. When we're looking at the macro data we're looking at, and I, ha- I really haven't heard many people say this yet. And, uh, and we shot, shot below the 50-day today. That stopped, that stopped it from going down for three days, and then it just disregarded it today. But the two-year was up. The uh, yield on a, the two-year was a up. A tiny bit, like one basis point, yeah. The two-year's where it was more or less two days ago and four days ago. So we're inverting even more right now. Well, we're no, we're, we're flattening it with the with the back end coming back down. Yeah, but the, but the back end's already below the front. We're oh yeah, inverted. sorry, sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah we're we're, yeah. we're yeah. that that's one thing that's not recessionary. No, no. Right. Well, like you would you would expect to see you, well if if we're moving into a recession like all the other times before, you sharply invert and then you flatten out right before the recession, right? Yeah, but typically because the typical well, it can go both ways. It can be the back end really really backing up the way it was until um last week or it can be the two year realizes what's coming and and the Fed's going to have to start slashing rates and it gets out of the way. Yeah. Which we we got a little bit of both. But then when the Fed came in or the Treasury came in with the refunding, like it just l- took all the pressure off the back end. So all the steepening that was happening just stopped. Yeah. Well, I, it, like I said, I think the thing that is kind of sending an alarm bell off in my mind a little bit is it's interesting to me that as quick as those rates jumped, as soon as some of that bad data started coming through, so, some of the stuff we've been looking at in the two week, last two weeks, you're seeing a pullback in rates all of a sudden. And I think everybody is attributing it to what Yellen said, uh, which it very well could be. We'll have yeah. to see. But it could also be the beginning of the market sniffing out. Hey, yeah, I mean, oil by the long end. Oil's not down 10% because of the refunding announcement. That much a no. Yeah. Well, especially when you said the spreads, the time spreads. Yeah. Uh, just because, like you said, even I, you know, I don't know, you've probably forgotten more about oil than I do, but <clears throat> when those time spreads get that tight, it's just telling you. That, no, no, no. We are forecasting lower demand. Yeah, we're not. We're not far from backwardation being completely gone. And whenever oil markets are in Katango, that, that is not a good sign for for their health and for where they're heading. All the major drawdowns in the history of oil pretty much all started in Katango. So, well, and then you look at what's going on in Europe. You that that's the other thing that I don't understand. Brutal there. Yeah, and that's the other thing I don't understand with modern economic thinking. This whole idea that it, to me feels like it's seventy years old, which is the rest of the world can catch a cold and we don't get we don't even cough. It's just not that way anymore. Go look at the flows. Yeah. Go look. So we we talk about the PMIs a lot here, and those above fifty is expansion, below fifty is contraction on in the in the way that those work. And when you get in the forties, that that's like. That's bad news bears. You get in the 30s and you're talking like apocalyptic for whatever you're measuring. The German home construction PMIs in the is in the 20s. Holy smokes. Yeah, I mean, and there's there's a lot of data like that, especially in Germany, but but all over Europe. I mean, Norwegian like industrial production, the chart is it just crazy. What was there did they do fiscal fiscal anywhere to the level that we did? Uh not to the level we did and they did it after us and and it it gets applied uh Kind of like with a butter knife instead of uh, with a, the biggest spoon you've ever seen. Biggest, I mean, I, I that was helicopter money as far yeah. as I'm concerned. Yeah. So, so they did. Okay. So, what that would just tell me is that if the way we're looking at it correctly, we'd expect the reality to be hitting them before it hits us. Yeah, and it's crazy because their cycle was way behind ours, but now it's like sped up and passed us essentially. The mar- markets are pricing in them doing cuts before us in the whole nine yards, even though they hiked way after we did. And less than we did both. Yeah. 
Well, but that's because their monetary policy hits and fast and ours doesn't because in America, we all have 30 year fixed rate mortgages there. They have like five year variables that move around a bunch. So you feel it fast. Yeah. Well, I same, was, same with the corporates. They, they're just financed differently. Same with Canada, right? Yeah. Canada works that way too. Like yep. they were, I saw a stat the other day where I was like, I mean, if rates do not come down and this is one of the problems I have with Cuppy's argument, which if rate, like you look at Canada's housing market, for instance, if rates do not come down, the foreclosures are going to be insane. Yep. They're yep. going to be insane. And people that are otherwise still financially solvent, I'm not talking about people who necessarily lost their jobs, but if you've got to adjust those rates up to where they currently are, yeah, they people aren't going to be able to afford their houses. Exactly. And I, I just can't, I just, the, the, and this is yet another reason. I feel like I keep going back and forth on this, mm-hmm. but this is yet another reason when I think about it. I think the Fed, they're, and they, there's no benefit for them advertising this, but I think they're going to be slower to cut rates than people think. I, I, I don't think they're that stupid to where they don't see that, right? Like where – like they're not going to drive it down until you have a complete 0809 style housing collapse. I'm not – or, you know, you hold their foot on the gas that long. But in terms of, you know, if 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 they lose control of inflation again and rates have to go even significantly higher – that's a even that's a bigger because all of that debt does like the problem to me is debt and one of the reasons that I think that we're walking into a bit of a buzzsaw here is because of how little attention the Fed pays to debt right like they just don't look at it in a way that I think that they should and I mean they look at credit conditions and things like that but I, I yeah I you just I mean they mostly they drive by looking at the rear view mirror instead yeah. of the windshield. So. Well, and 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 then you just start, like I said, you go through those numbers and you start applying those mortgage rates in in the places like people are like, well, that's Canada. And I'm like, guys, come on, man, it's a global marketplace. Like we were saying, 58 percent of tech earnings come from overseas. Like these things feed back. Yeah, and we're seeing that this quarter, the people with a bunch of oversells, uh, overseas sales are really struggling with their earnings compared to people that have it most most of their revenue domestically. Yep. Yep. All right, man. Is that all we got for today? That's it. All right, you guys. Well, like I said, you're not going to want to miss the showdown we've got with Mr. Cuppy coming up on Friday. And I'm, then I'm uh, wear my Randy Savage shirt tomorrow. Yeah, there we go. That's going to be a lot of that in the Cleveland Browns. I mean, this is just getting better by the day. <laughs> uh, but yeah, you guys are going to want to miss this. We'll be back with the dots again tomorrow. As always, thank you so much for joining us. And again, you're not going to want to miss that interview with Cuppy coming up on Friday. So, and if you can, if this, if you enjoy the show, make sure you subscribe. More subscribers we got, better, easier it is to get better guests on. And honestly, I think that's one of the reasons we've been having better guests lately is the subscription numbers are, are helping out in that, that fight. So continue that. And uh, until tomorrow, we will be back. Uh, hopefully, what do we have dropping tomorrow? Do we have anything? Yeah, just, Unemploy- job, just job jobs, numbers, claims. Jobs, numbers, jobs okay. claims, yep. Yeah, we'll have a breakdown for that on you guys. All right, guys, we'll see you tomorrow. You're listening to Know Your Risk Radio podcast. Download and subscribe at knowyourriskradio.com. The opinions expressed in this program are for general informational purposes only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual or on any specific security. It is only intended to provide education about the financial industry. To determine which investments may be appropriate for you, consult your financial advisor prior to investing. Any past performance discussed during this program is no guarantee of future results. Any indices referenced for comparison are unmanaged and cannot be invested into directly. As always, please remember investing involves risk and possible loss of principal capital. Please seek advice from a licensed professional. Investment advice cannot be given without a client service agreement. Bulwark Capital Management 
Management is an investment advisor representative of Trek Financial, LLC, an SEC-registered investment advisor.